Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. League of Wonder, a Glisten Plus production. Episode two, a twister of trouble. The next afternoon, a harsh wind was blowing down the Thames. Dorothy's dress fluttered wildly as she stood at the end of the longest pier of the Royal Victoria docks. I watched her tear up as her parents' luggage was hoisted onto a sailing vessel that had the curious name, the We're Here, written across its hull. The ship's rugged crew was busy making preparations for a long voyage. Take me with you. I watched as her mother bent down before her and took her hand in hers. Oh, you'll have a much better time here in London. Mrs. Hudson will take good care of you while we're away. I don't understand why you need to go all the way to Egypt. There's a magnetic compass there, one that's especially tuned to find the silver slippers. And you know how important it is to find those slippers and give them back to Glinda. I tried to comfort Dorothy with a lick on her leg, but it didn't seem to be enough to change her mood. Just promise me you'll be safe. As soon as we've retrieved the compass, we'll be coming straight back for you. There's no need to worry. A spiral of wind came rushing down the docks, sending hats flying. Looking up, I saw a twister was heading straight toward us. A raging vortex of water and debris was upon us. Ah! Evelyn was knocked backwards, Archie too. The wind caught Dorothy in its powerful arms and pulled her off the ground. I had to do something. I was closer than her parents. I leaped up. My teeth bit down on her dress. I had her. But who had me? I hadn't thought this through. Suddenly, Dorothy and I were being swung in rapid circles. Below, planks of wood were being ripped from the dock. Dorothy! Oh, little girl! I could feel myself going higher. Then, with no warning, the twister stopped. And we fell, spinning through the air before. We dropped into the river, plunging deep into the murky water. As Dorothy flailed, I began kicking toward the daylight above with the end of her skirt still in my mouth. I tugged her all the way back to the surface. Archie was already in the water, swimming quickly toward us. Oh, are you okay? Uh-huh. Archie looped an arm under his daughter, and together they paddled back to the dock. Dorothy climbed up the ladder on the side of the dock into her mother's waiting arms. Archie scooped me up and put me down on the dock. Once everyone was safely ashore, Sherlock spoke up. Do you think that tornado could have been the magic of the slipper? Without question, someone is attempting to harness its power. Fortunately, little can be done with one slipper alone, but should this villain that Glinda talked about get the other, then we're all in deep trouble. 
Together, the slippers can make the sky tremble. The trees walk like men and allow their owners to travel across the globe with only a wish and a click of their heels. It was the first time that I had ever heard the Gale speak of the slippers' powers. And while a magical shoe sounded preposterous, I had the feeling it was true. Dorothy often rambled on about a place called Oz that she claimed she visited with her parents when she was little, but I had always chalked that up to make-believe. Until now. The captain of the We're Here gave a loud whistle from the deck as he tied down the loose articles that had been thrown by the twister. He licked his thumb and stuck it into the air. We can use this southerly breeze to give us a fast voyage down the Thames. We should leave now. Archie and Evelyn each gave Dorothy a kiss on the cheek. Then Archie and Evelyn turned and climbed aboard the schooner. Dorothy bent down next to me and whispered in my ear as tears crept from the corners of her eyes. I'm worried about them, Kip. I gave her ankles a lick. I hated to see her upset. I understood how she felt. Her parents were leaving with no one to protect them. How could she not worry? And a thought popped into my head. I would protect them. I would go with Archie and Evelyn and make sure they came home safe to Dorothy. What is it, boy? I couldn't explain it, so I had to show her. I ran down the dock and leaped aboard the weir here. Archie spotted me at once. Kip, what are you doing? I started to bark. I tried to tell him I would be their guard dog, protect them from whatever dangers lay ahead. But it all just sounded like barking to Archie. I don't don't know what you're saying. Are you going to miss me? He's going to keep you safe. Dorothy may not have been able to understand the words that I said, but she always seemed to know just what I meant. He's your dog, Dorothy. He should be with you. No, I want him to go to Egypt. It'll make me happy knowing he's watching over you. Evelyn looked to her husband. He nodded in response. Okay. A big smile spread across Dorothy's face. It was a sight that I was glad to see. Archie called out to the captain. We're ready. As the crew members tossed the lines and pushed off, I ran to the back of the boat where I could get a good look at Dorothy standing on the pier. I puffed up my shoulders high so that she could see. I'll keep them safe. Don't worry. Dorothy grinned again. Somehow she understood. I watched as Dorothy waved goodbye. I was going to miss her dearly. I love you, Kip! I was so busy looking at my girl that I barely paid attention to the five ravens silently staring down at me from the dockhouse roof. Nor did I take note of the raven who had hidden himself in the crow's nest of the very boat I was sailing away on. It was a mistake I would live to regret. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
four weeks later, the Weir Here sailed into the Egyptian harbor of Port Said. The last month had been a new experience for me. I had only been on a boat once before the Gales had adopted me, and it had been quite different from this. I had taken a river cruise along the Seine with the French Duke on a yacht that was more like a floating restaurant complete with silk tablecloths and goose liver pâté. This was real seafaring. An old fisherman schooner still sporting all the nets and rigging. The crew that manned the deck was just as rough and tumble. I enjoyed this much more. But often as I lay on the deck in the shade of the sails, my mind wandered to Dorothy, hoping she was all right. As the ship dropped anchor in the protected harbor of the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, the captain's son, Danny Troop, prepared the dinghy to go ashore. The gales packed their backpacks and tucked me into a picnic basket. Really? A picnic basket? Why couldn't they find something more dignified to carry me in? Something that didn't make me feel like a wedge of hard cheese? Danny rowed into shore and pulled the dinghy alongside Departure Island, a small mound of rocks where all of the ship's rowboats were tied. Archie and Evelyn disembarked and walked down the long wooden jetty that stretched to the mainland. I was stuck with my head sticking out of the picnic basket. Very embarrassing. Once ashore, Archie procured a horse cart and guide to take us over the western dune to the small part of the trading village where the Temple of Bastet was said to be located. As we traveled the dirt road, Evelyn and Archie sat by the front and tried to make small talk with their guide, who appeared to be no older than 12 and spoke very little English. What is that? Does this village have a name? I couldn't believe how hot it was. I wanted to shear off my fur like a sheep was stripped of its wool. There was no escape. The inside of the picnic basket was sweltering and stuffy, but when I stuck my head out of the lid for a breath of air, I was assaulted by the hot desert sun. As the cart slowly rolled over the dunes and into town, I took in my surroundings. Sand. All I could see was sand. Sand on the ground, sand dusting the clay walls of the buildings, sand weighing down the cloth canopies over the marketplace, and with every gust of wind, still more sand swirling in the air. How could any person or animal survive in this extreme place? Wait! Evelyn tapped our guide on the shoulder, signaling him to stop. The boy gave a tug on the reins. I think that's it! She pointed to a sliver of a building wedged between a stall selling baskets and an olive vendor. The thin building had no writing above the doorway or on the neighboring walls. Archie removed his narrow-brimmed bowler hat and wiped the sweat from his scalp. How can you tell? They all look the same to me. By the bowls of milk at the entrance, the worshippers of Bastet prayed to a cat-headed goddess. Looking out, it was hard to believe that much of anything at all was stored in that tiny building, let alone a precious magnetic compass, whatever that was. Yet I certainly hoped she was right. I had only been in Egypt for an hour, but I was already ready to leave. Evelyn turned to our young guide. Will you wait here with the cart? Evelyn scooped up the picnic basket with me inside and hopped out of the cart. Archie slung a backpack over his shoulders. 
The Gales walked casually toward the entrance of the temple, as if they might just pass it by. At the last moment, they darted inside. The temple was far larger inside than I had suspected. A long reflecting pool filled with purple lotus flowers stretched from the atrium to the domed prayer chamber and back. At the end of the pool, an eight-foot-tall sandstone statue of a woman with the head of a cat stared upward as if looking directly into the sun. In one corner of the room, a fountain sprayed milk into an already full bowl, causing rivulets of white to dribble onto the floor. An aroma of curdled cheese and sweat filled my nostrils. There was not a single person in the building. It appeared that the worshippers of Bastet had all gone somewhere else. At least the human worshippers were not here. There were hundreds of cats, some as small as kittens and others that were practically tiger-sized. They licked fresh milk from the fountain and slept in the shadows. I spied a large cat nibbling on what looked like a drumstick. When I peered over for a closer look, I saw that the drumstick had a ring on it. It was the finger, or what was left of a finger, of an uninvited guest. The compass is right there. At the foot of the cat-headed statue, a small golden tube sat surrounded by grape leaves. You don't happen to have a ball of string in that backpack of yours? I don't, but I do have a plan. She pushed the picnic basket I was inside into Archie's hands. Then she sprinted straight for the statue, careful to avoid stepping on tails. The cats looked up, confused. Evelyn grabbed the golden tube and spun back for Archie and me. The cats went from puzzled to furious. I wouldn't call that a plan! The small cats bared their fangs and swiped with their claws, leaving deep pink gashes in Evelyn's legs. Archie backed away as a prowl began to surround him, too. Then, I watched as one of the large cats stood up on her hind legs and began to change. The feline's paws stretched into long, hairless fingers. Her oval eyes twisted across her face like confused slugs until they found their places on either side of a pale, fleshy nose. The cat's thin gray coat of fur shimmered as it became long, gray robes. The cat had transformed into a woman. A very angry woman. Priestesses, grab your bows and spears after them! All around Evelyn, the great cats began to morph into women, snatching their weapons from the walls. Evelyn reached Archie's side and grabbed the basket. She tossed the compass inside, right between my paws. Then, she pulled Archie by the wrist and swept him toward the exit. Archie and Evelyn burst out of the temple, knocking the bowls of milk over as they scrambled. It's time to leave! Evelyn waved to our guide as she dashed toward him, her long brown ponytails bouncing against her shoulders with every step. I only got peeks outside as I was tossed back and forth against the rough wicker basket as the golden tube rolled at my feet. I could see the tube was covered with intricate symbols and sliding parts. This didn't look like any compass I had ever seen before. Out of the temple emerged a trio of priestesses with spears in their hands and bows strapped to their backs. Each had a tattoo on their upper arm that depicted the head of a cat. 
One of the priestesses flung her spear. It soared with incredible precision and struck one of the two wooden wheels of the donkey cart. The wheel cracked in half from the tremendous force. The cart wouldn't be going anywhere now. We'll have to make it back on foot. She ran down the sandy street, gripping my basket tightly as her knee-high boots kicked up clouds of sand. I peered out the back of the basket. Evelyn was fleet-footed, but the priestesses were even faster. With hunched backs, the tips of their fingers scraped against the ground as they bounded along the streets like the cats they worshipped. We're not that far from the harbor, but we'll have to lose them if we want to make it to the jetty. Lead the way! Evelyn made a sharp turn through a rug merchant's outdoor store. We dodged through the maze of prayer mats and shawls hanging from string. Next, we took a detour through an abandoned building. Upon reaching the other side, we ducked down between two stacks of baskets. I could hear the pounding of feet and the distant shouts of the priestesses searching the outdoor rug store. Evelyn put her finger up to her lips. I stopped panting, which was hard to do in the incredible heat. Then, I noticed that we weren't alone. A black cat was peering down at us from the top of a straw basket. She wore a gold necklace encrusted with a jeweled scarab beetle. I knew that if the cat kept screeching, it wouldn't take the priestesses long to find us. Archie and Evelyn sprung to their feet again. We raced down the dusty road out of town. A quick glance behind confirmed what I had already suspected. Our pursuers had tracked us down. The black cat was running at their heels. I hope the captain's son has the rowboat ready. The priestesses are known for their sharp aim with bows. I thought they were known for their skill with spears. Maybe they're known for a lot of things. A gold-tipped arrow nicked Archie's sleeve and struck the picnic basket's lid right between my furry ears. I could see the Port Said jetty up ahead. Pushing merchants and sailors out of the way, Evelyn and Archie sprinted for the dock. I was being rattled like an ice cube in one of the Duke's cocktail shakers and getting a bit dizzy in the process. I peered out of the basket again, only to see that the priestesses were gaining quickly on us. Use a marble! I only have two left. And you may never get a chance to use the other if you don't use one right now. I peered over the side of the basket as Evelyn reached into the pouch dangling from her waist. She plucked out a single green marble and with a flick of her wrist, tossed it backwards. When the small sphere hit the wood planks of the jetty, a forest of emerald glass sprouted upward, creating a translucent wall. Behind it, the priestesses of Bastet came to a sudden stop. Next time we're in Oz, we're definitely getting more of those. On the other side of the green glass, the cat-worshipping women unsheathed their swords and began hacking at the emerald wall with their blades. The sound of the metal scraping against glass made the fur on my back stand on end. Up ahead, tied to the rocks was our small rowboat. Beside it, Danny was waiting for us. The boy took one glance down the wood dock and realized that this needed to be a quick departure. Archie arrived first and hopped aboard. Oh, I'm very glad we left Dorothy in London. Archie reached out a hand for Evelyn. She scrambled down the rocks and into the boat. I peered out of the basket to see the emerald barrier was broken, and the priestesses were racing toward the boat, their sandals barely touching the ground. The captain's son pushed the rowboat off and sprung inside. Danny, let's see some muscle. 
The wiry boy dipped the oars into the sea and began pulling swiftly, grunting with every heave. On the jetty, the priestesses sprinted down the wooden planks with feline agility, dodging the fishermen and merchants who couldn't get out of their way fast enough. The swiftest of the priestesses reached the end of the dock and leaped. With her spear outstretched, she jumped farther than I had ever seen a human do before. And that included the time my former owner accidentally sat on a pincushion. The sharp tip of the spear embedded itself into the back of a small boat. The priestess was now being dragged behind the boat as she held tight to the other end of the spear. She yelled out a string of angry consonants and cat hisses while spitting water from her mouth. Evelyn grabbed the boat's small anchor and swung it at the tip of the spear. The impact knocked it free, leaving the priestess treading water in the rowboat's wake. A rain of arrows flew from the other priestess's bows, but the projectiles fell short, plunging into the lapping water. Danny continued to tug at the oars with all his might as the distance between the rowboat and the end of the dock grew. Once we were safe, I jumped out of the basket and hopped down onto the floor of the rowboat. I crawled through the legs of the captain's son and found a comfortable spot at the front of the small boat. I smiled at myself. I had a lot to be happy about. We had found the compass in record time. No one had lost a finger or paw, and the sea breeze felt cool and moist. I had done what I had set out to do. I had kept Archie and Evelyn safe. Of course, there was one thing that made me smile the biggest. I was on my way home to Dorothy. League of Wonder, starring Donovan Patton as Kip, Makoto M as Lulu, Eric Peterson as Mr. Toad, Brian Stepanek as the Talking Cricket, Robbie Jarvis as Wit, Olive Epstein as Dorothy Gale, Santa Moses as Evelyn Gale, and Matthew McRae as Archie Gale. Written and directed by Adam J. Epstein. Executive produced by Sheila Stepanek and Adam J. Epstein. Edited and mixed by Christopher Sousa. Cover art by Alexander Garcia. Additional voices by Scott Peet, Daphne Bloomer, Michael Nering, Adam Epstein, and Suzanne Hesseloff. League of Wonder is a Glisten Plus production. <laughs>